0: Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM proudly presents A Community Affair, a weekly program where we discuss with national and local newsmakers important issues that impact our community. And now, here's your
1: host, WGLS-FM Public Affairs Director, Sam Whalen. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Community Affair. My name is Sam Whalen, your public affairs director, and joining me on the show today is Neil Asbury, author of Mapping America and a soon-to-be speaker here at Roan University with Coffee with an Entrepreneur here on November 3rd. How are you doing today, Neil?
0: Uh, Excellent. Thanks, uh, Thanks for having me.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. So getting right into it, talk a little bit about yourself as an author and how you came to be fascinated with maps and engravings that you cover in the book.
0: Well... I guess you could say it all started there at Glassboro. You know, when I was there, it was Glassboro. It wasn't Rowan. But, uh, you know, I was a student there. And uh, I was a music music major. And uh, so I, I really loved the arts. I loved the arts. And quite honestly, you know, as I got through school, I had to be honest with myself. That I you know just didn't have the talent that I needed uh, in the music world to make it in the music world. I had pretty high aspirations, but I had the good fortune to be an exchange student and I spent a year in uh, in uh, in London and I also traveled uh, throughout uh, Europe during that time. I really got introduced to the world. It was a very very fascinating thing it really changed my life so after I left school, I moved to New York, and I got a job in, a, in, a, in an export trading company. See, I, I had this first passion of the arts and of music that I was pursuing there in Glassboro, uh, but uh, it led me you know, to New York uh, to look in another direction, and that direction was uh, to get engaged in international trade, and uh, a really big change of career, a big pivot but hey, look, I was 22 years old. I had an apartment in Hell's Kitchen. I was living in, in Manhattan. And I got a job on Lower Fifth Avenue working for a trading company. And uh, you know, I was at the bottom of the bottom of the pile, but I felt that I was on top of the world. Here I was in New York City working in the international trade uh, industry. I, I spent a the year there, and I was headhunted out uh, to, my dream job, just a year in New York, uh, in Singapore, I actually landed a job in Singapore as a sales manager uh, for a British trading company, uh, selling uh, commercial kitchens and uh, in, in, uh, appliances throughout uh, in Asia, South Asia, uh, South Asia, the Middle East, and so forth. So as I traveled this region of the world, I was completely fascinated by it, completely fascinated by it. And I really became a student of its history. And I read, and I read, and I read. All these places I was going, I would just read so much about them. And you know, I became quite knowledgeable about each and every one of these countries. And I was reading a book on the Ottoman Empire. Um, I was traveling to many of these countries. And so I was reading a book on the Ottoman Empire. And lo and behold, I was in a record store, I mean, a a bookstore in Singapore, and up on the wall, there was a period map from the early 1800s of the Ottoman Empire. And I was just completely enamored by that. Here it is, I'm reading about it, and there's an original document showing these countries and these borders that was no longer in existence. And it was for sale. And it wasn't a lot of money and it wasn't a particularly important map, but I bought it. And I had this map of the Ottoman empire, the very first map that I had bought. And from that, I got like completely, you know, hooked on it because I was now not only, you know, able to read about it, but I was also able to own pieces of this history. So, you know, as an, as a, as a human being, you know, they really, they really sum up who I am. You know, I'm a, I'm a, I I love the arts. These are art. Um, I love history and geography. These are history and geography. And by the way, the people who were out there sort of collecting this data, they were the original entrepreneurs. They were the original global entrepreneurs. I'm an entrepreneur. I've won so many awards as an entrepreneur. I've won the highest awards in our country, the United States, this great country of ours, in international trade. I'm the the United States National Champion Exporter of the Year. I've won so many awards for international trade. So what are these documents, these maps? It's all about international trade. It's about entrepreneurialism. It's about the age of discovery. It's about geography. It's about history. And first and foremost, they are pieces of art.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it seems like these maps are, are have a really profound impact on you, and it's really interesting to hear about that. So for you, holding these maps, these tactile pieces of history, do you feel a connection maybe across time with, you know, maybe those original artists that made those maps? You know, you speak, you're an entrepreneur yourself, maybe the people at those time were explorers in their own way. Do you feel that connection across time?
0: Yeah, well, if you can see my office, you know, they're all around me. I live amongst them at my home. On my desk, I have the first edition of um, Sir Walter Riley's History of the World that he published in 1609 while well, he was in the Tower of London waiting to be executed. Uh, we're all speaking English because of Sir Walter. And I, uh, I keep his book on my desk. And, I, and, you know, when things get a little tougher, you know, I'm just kind of feeling a little bit, oh, my goodness, I need a little help here. I put my hand on his book. The connection is real, right? The connection is real. I mean, to me, it's like these people before us. I mean, whatever I'm going through pales in comparison as an entrepreneur and what these guys have accomplished, whatever I've accomplished, I'm pretty proud of it. But when I'm whatever I accomplished pales in comparison.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think that's, that's really interesting, especially, you know, you taking the historical artifacts and having them kind of humble you in a way. And I think that that's really interesting. Um, you talk about being in the area of the Ottoman Empire and looking at that map while standing in that same location. What's that like for you? Because, you know, often we read about history in, in textbooks, right? We don't we don't really get to feel it or to live it. What's it like for you traveling the world while also looking at these maps that represent the places that you were currently staying at?
0: Well, of course, you know, there's a major connection there, right? I mean, you know, and it's funny because a lot of these maps that, that and, and, and a lot of these lands and things that people knew at certain points are mythical, right? Um, but 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 to see these sort of fable places and these mythical lands and how you know how knowledge changed over time and how different discoveries were made, but yet having having the documents pre-discovery or pre when this was all figured out, you know I'm going to bring to campus uh, probably the most famous the most famous world is flat map that was was published in the four, early 1490s. Um, and that map was the pre-Columbus map, right? That was the world before Columbus had sailed. And uh, you know, to look at that and seeing what the, was known at that time, right? And that was that's what humanity knew, and that's what people read. And, and by the way, to have access to these things, you know, they were very expensive and they were hard to come by. And you know, you know, it wasn't like everybody could just go down to their local uh, store and buy a map, right? They didn't go to, you know, Rand McNally. Rand McNally <laughs> wasn't around yet. And uh, so, you know, the people who had access to this, you know, were limited. There was very few of it made, but then there was very few people who had access to it. But they were, they were so important psychologically to the people who owned them. You know, they were really treasured. Uh, and uh, I mean, if you look at paintings of Vermeer or Rembrandt and the, the Dutch masters, you know, many of the paintings, they're sitting in the study or library of some, some subject. And what's on the wall behind them is a map. I mean, these were real status symbols. You see them. So many maps was painted in uh, Rembrandt as the background of people sitting in front of it in their studies. You could just see how important they were to society and to culture. So, yes, owning them and seeing them and having them and preserving them. So, remember, preserving them. You know, I'm going to bring to campus but, but the most important book ever, written in, in humanity and it's the book that that launched so much um was the gutenberg bible no i can't bring the gutenberg bible because there's like a handful of them and you know it's there if, if one were to come on the market it would be probably a hundred million dollars to buy so you know there's not a gutenberg bible coming to campus but there is the next best thing and that is the nuremberg chronicle uh that launched the renaissance was the bridge from the middle ages to the uh to the to the humanists to the to the Renaissance that very important time in history, and so when you look at this thing, it's a massive book. First time ever that a picture in the printed word, an image in the printed word, ever appeared on a piece of paper together, and it talks and it about the history of the world and, and 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 about all the known places of the world and what people look like and all of that. It's fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Um, But that's but that's uh, coming to campus. So the people who had access to this knowledge and and who had this in their possession, I mean, they were real treasures. And uh, for me to be able to preserve that, right, that's my job. My job is to preserve that and to pass it along to the next generation and the next generation. Think about how many people had owned that and protected it throughout the last 700 years, the last 700 years. And now it's in my possession and I got to take care of it and I got to be ready to pass it on to the next because it will last for the next 700 years uh, the imagery, the, the, the paper they use, the inks they use, they're still vibrant today, 700 years later, it looks perfect. It looks beautiful. And so my job is to make sure it continues its journey throughout humanity so people can really experience this and, and, and treasure this, you know, in, in, the, in the centuries to
1: come. Absolutely. And I think that that's a that's a large task to undertake for yourself is to preserve these books. But it's an equally important task that, you know, somebody has to do it. And it's a good thing that, you know, someone that cares as much as evidently as you do is put in that task. Uh, So talking about a little bit more about the book, uh, it's a very unique Take on history, right? Looking at it specifically through the lens of these maps, um, where do you think that the book will land in the larger scheme of reading about history and Ameri- whether American history or global history? How do you think that the book offers a unique take on those uh, those histories?
0: Well, let me tell you, the book is doing ph- phenomenally well. The book is doing phenomenally well. Um, we're already, the book was released on July fourth. Obviously, mapping America. It's a very beautiful story about the founding of the United States. It's a very unique story about the founding of the United States. But in all of the, the books of history, and remember, I'm not a history guy, right? I'm, I'm I'm this isn't written for academia or it's not written, you know, as a scholarly work, even though some people say it is, but it's written for everybody to read and enjoy. In a way that everybody can understand and get to to know some things that I don't know why you know there's not been a book about the history of the United States, the history of the Americas, told through the images and the maps of the period, and there was a real devoid a void in 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 you know the literature. There really is, and even even you know we're getting all kinds of book reviews. Um, we're We got a review by the New York Times and, you know, they review very, very few books, very few books. And everybody agrees that this is, this story, the way it's being told through the images of these maps and what was known at different times and how this information came to be. And then, you know, the, how it influenced these empires, looking at these documents. Some of them just plainly wrong and uh, how they were making their decisions. It's hard to believe, but there has been no book ever written to tell the story like we've told it, right? Now, you know, I have an incredible co author. Uh, his name is Jean Pierre Isbouts. Incredible guy. He's one of the, the leading art historians in the world, he's one of the best known um, biblical archaeologists in the world. Uh, he's a doctor, professor at, at, at a doctoral professor at Fielding University. Uh, he's written so many books. Uh, he's the top-selling author of all time of National Geographic. Uh, he's done so many films. The latest Walt Disney film he was hired to write and produce for the for the Disney family. It's on Netflix. Uh, an incredible author. And he saw my material. Actually, he saw me doing a or. It, his literary his literary agent saw me doing a uh, lecture at a University Nova University and um, sent the video of the lecture to jean-pierre and he got a hold of me and said we got to write this book this has never been done before in the storytelling in the way that you do it it's just like nobody's done this and this book is going to be very successful we got to do this and and um, so lo and behold, <laughs> that's the genesis of, of mapping America. It is a unique book, and over 200 images and maps that's in the book. Most of those are in my private collection, so it's really a, a labor of love. It's not just you know these images, but these images that I've researched. I've searched the world for. I've spent you know 25 years putting together, and uh, and to see them in a book, you know. <laughs> I guess you know. The other day, my publisher got a hold of me and said, "Hey, we just got an order for your book. We're getting orders every day. We're get, we're doing very well. You know, we got a lot of people buying the book. But uh, Mount Vernon just bought the book to be sold in their in their in their gift shop. And um, you know, we're we're seeing." that we're seeing that all over the country, these museums and people are buying. But for me personally, because I talk about George Washington, I talk about General Washington, not President Washington. I talk about General Washington. His I, I have most of the battle plans. I own the originals from the Revolutionary War, the crossing of the Delaware. I'm going to bring that to Rome. I'm going to bring that to Rowan. the actual battle plan of crossing the Delaware of General Washington. So to me, it's not just, you know, the founder of our country, the very first president, you know, this incredible human being. But, you know, I've, I've studied and I collected these documents that were, that was his, in his lifetime and his, that he was responsible for. And now for my book to be on sale inside Mount Vernon, you know, in his, in his home, I mean, my goodness, I got to pinch myself because I, you know, who would have thought, you know, a music major from rowan university writing a piece of history uh as a hobby and then having it you know critically acclaimed around the country selling out and having the book you know for sale in these very very famous holy sites of uh, of our nation
1: yeah that must be really incredible like just like you said it all kind of coming full circle uh for you that must be really special to see how far what yeah. you have worked on has come Uh, So we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with more of a community affair. And we are back with a community affair. My name is Sam Whalen. Today I'm speaking with Neil Asbury, author of Mapping America. So getting right back into it. Uh, we've already talked a lot about the maps um, and, you know, how they're more than just for navigation. So for you, what aesthetic aspects of the maps really stick out when you look at a new piece? Well, you know, the
0: cartouches of the map uh, are the imagery on the map, right? So the map, remember, when you talk about a map and you see these kind of bland maps of today, this is not what these are. Yes, there's geography and you're looking at geography but there's a lot of imagery on these maps. Like when these these great ships would sail the world and they would go out looking for trade opportunities and you know they would have people with them recording what was going on and uh, writing about it and making sketches of what they seen of these different lands that they had visited. And the imagery coming back from these voyages would be engraved into the maps these beautiful images of how people looked what they dressed like you know what did the landscape look like what kind of anim- animals what kind of vegetation what did they eat a lot of this imagery that you know there was no photography obviously so the very very first images coming out of the new world, and we're talking about America now, but this could be said for Southeast Asia, it could be said for East Asia, it could be said for Australasia, it could be said for Africa, um, it could be said for South America, wherever. The very, very first images coming out of these places that were published and produced and distributed, although limited distribution, but at least they were distributed, that people could own, that people could see, are the images or this cartouche work on these maps. So to me, you know, it is the very first glimpse of exploration and understanding our surroundings and what was out there and how was it perceived. And it's, it's just, it's just incredibly fascinating. uh, These maps you say, you know, why are they so important? What, what really attracts you? What's the, the big attraction? Well, to me, it's, it's not just the geography, but it's the imagery to come out uh, and to be produced on these maps. So you're not, you're, it's, it's kind of like the photo album. So it's not just a piece of geography. This is the photo album that came back from these, from these voyages.
1: Yeah, that was one of the things that really struck me is you know, prepping for this is really looking at some of these maps and just seeing the level of detail and craftsmanship. And, you know, like you talked about the first images coming out of these new lands it must've been scary for these, for these explorers to, to try to put down the images, the things that they're seeing that they might've never seen before. How do you, how do you as a preservationist and a historian look at these first, uh, interpretations of new lands and, and how do you interpret those today? Well, you know, there's a lot of fascinating things to come out of, I mean, you know, and I'll bring an example of this,
0: uh, to campus is, and a lot of these voyages, a lot of these maps, especially ones that would show either the, um, the uh, Atlantic ocean or what Magellan called Mars Pacific or the Pacific ocean, there were these sea creatures everywhere. And there's the, engraved into the oceans and they weren't there for ornamentation. They were there because, you know, these early explorers really believed that there was these monsters living beneath the ocean and that they would raise up at any time. And, you know, just devour them. And so imagine going off into the world not knowing where you're going on this big ocean with sea monsters everywhere. And they they were real because they were engraved. They were in these images. They weren't there as decoration. They were there as warnings. They were there as warnings. Be aware of this. You see the uh, early imagery coming out of uh, the coast of Brazil. And just about every map coming out of the uh, 17th century um, are, are images of cannibalism and the warnings of people having to go into South America and landing in, 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 in uh, eastern Brazil is that, you know, be aware there's cannibals everywhere. And, and, all, and all that imagery is very vivid on these documents. Uh, so there were warnings everywhere of the dangers of the dangers of traveling to these lands and what could happen to you. And, um, you know, so it's, it's fascinating to see what the mindset was of these people, you know, what they were dealing with and what they imagined, what they imagined uh, is really quite astounding and what, you know, they, they went through to go to these places.
1: Yeah, it's interesting how the mind, you know, we see something that you've never seen before, how your mind tries to process that and then not only try to process it, but also try to recreate it to explain it to somebody else. It must be extremely difficult.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, what happened is that these, this information was collected. It would be brought back to Europe. Uh, the golden age of cartography is the 1600s. Uh, and that was largely centered around Amsterdam. You had the, the various uh, families there, the Blau family, um, the Hundius, Johnsonius uh, uh, clan, um, and, and, and others, Vischer and so forth. These great houses of cartography that would be down there along the docks from the ships, collecting this information as it came back. Uh, these notes, these uh, this this these sketches and so forth and would be brought back to their studios of engravers, and they would immediately engrave it, try to learn that was any new geog- uh, geographic uh, um, discovery made, and then quickly get it produced onto their material so that they were the first out with, with these new discoveries. You know, there was a real competitiveness going on, you know, to be able to collect this data, to engrave it, and then to get it out into the into the limited marketplace.
1: It must be difficult, you know at that time, sorting through all those different accounts, too, because surely everybody that would encounter something for the first time would have a different interpretation of it, so sort of taking all those interpretations and, and melding them into something yes that's-
0: and that's what they would do, and they would take all these divergent ideas and try to make sense of it and there was a lot of plagiarism, too Sam. I mean they would they would you know if if, if they're called foundation maps, if one of these great cartographers came up with something and it was really, really sort of cutting edge, then all the other cartographers would just sort of copy that. And that became now the new, um, the new, the new standard for that part of the world. Right. I mean, that's how, that's how it happened. that's how America was named. There was a cartographer in Germany that took the Vespucci papers from his voyage back in 1499 that he did along the coast of Brazil. And, um, he, he took the Vespucci papers, which were these notes and these sketches. Uh, he updated one of the Ptolemaic maps uh, from the world is flat period. This is 1507. And he engraved this new continent based on these papers and these sketches from Vespucci. And in honor of, of Vespucci, he engraved over the South American continent this little thin slice of land that he determined was there. And he in the, in over South America, he engraved America. He engraved the word America in honor of Amerigo Vespucci, right? Because he was referencing his sketches in his papers. And because of plagiarism and because of that was the latest foundation map of the new world, everybody copied it. And so everybody also copied the name America. There was no group of people getting together and saying, okay, let's name America. Let's take a vote. Let's, let's decide what we're going to name this. And so it was just an act of a cartographer in Nuremberg in Germany who took these papers, added it to his work, circulated it. Everybody said, wow, that's the new foundation map of this new land. And they copied it, and they copied his notations. And by copying his notation, over and over again the name stuck and that's why we're called americans just by just by luck just by chance
1: yeah yeah i never knew that i I knew the amerigo connection but i never knew the the plagiarism aspect so that's really fascinating uh and that's a that's a great way exactly
0: it i mean it was plagiarism pure and simple it was plagiarism it was a german scholar cartographer used it and everybody copied it and that's it stuck and that's it and then another german cartographer. i'll bring it to the campus Wait a second, I'm saying so many things I'm going to bring to campus. But another really cool document is the uh, Munster map, the German map of 1550. And Munster then took uh, the name America, and he engraved it on the northern American, con- the North American continent, because up until then, it was only the South American continent was named America. There was not a lot going on in the North American continent. And But Munster, as it got more and more activity, more and more notice, more important, people thinking about North America, he actually engraved in his work America on the northern continent as well. And then because of plagiarism, that stuck.
1: Hmm. Well, that's uh, another fun fact that I'm sure there's plenty, a plethora of information contained uh, in the book, Mapping America. That's all the time we have for today, unfortunately. Uh, Neil, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Sam. And thank you to all of you for listening. This has been A Community Affair. I will see you next time. You've been listening to A Community Affair
0: with your host, WGLS-FM Public Affairs Director, Sam Whalen. Be sure to join us on the third Saturday of every month at 9 a.m. as we discuss the important issues that impact you and our community. Only here on Growing Radio, 89.7 WGLS-FM.